0: Welcome to the Broken Vessels Podcast. Jeremiah 18.4 states, And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it, into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. This is the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Simpkins. This is a podcast where we have discussions on theological themes for the broken to bring encouragement and hope in Christ. And I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Broken Vessels Podcast. I'm so thankful that you're here to join me today as we talk about brokenness and unexpected tragedy. I have a couple who I've invited to come on that were actually fellow members with me at Brigham City Bible Church in Brigham City, Utah, when I lived in Utah. And you all will remember that Brett Revlett was my former pastor there. And I've had Brett on the Broken Vessels podcast several times. He's shared with you, my listeners, about many things early on. And he was our pastor. And it was just a blessing. We had just such a Beautiful, beautiful fellowship there as we were walking together in faith, looking to Christ. And so the couple that I have on with me today are Paul and Cheryl Thomas, who were fellow members with me at Brigham City Bible Church. Paul, Cheryl, it's so good to have you here on the Broken Vessels podcast. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing well. Good to see you, Josh. Thanks for having us.
0: Paul and Cheryl were just awesome people to be connected with, and even still, we talk on the phone every so often, every few months or so, and so they're just a true blessing, and they love the Lord, and they love His Word, and they love Reformed theology, which is always a good thing. So, But the reason I had Paul and Cheryl come on is because they just have a wonderful story to tell. Really just in the last several years of what God has done through unexpected tragedy that happened in their life and how God brought them through that and how the gospel was really foundational to helping them heal through tragic circumstances. Paul and Cheryl, I want to start off by asking you both to just kind of talk about your background spiritually growing up, the church context you came from, and just kind of uh, how it was that you got from there to eventually coming to Brigham City Bible Church and coming to a Reformed understanding of the faith. So I don't know which one of you guys want to start, but I'll just let you guys decide.
1: So it was my mom that kind of led me towards God. She had an accident, a severe accident that killed her first husband and injured her severely. And she ended up staying with an aunt or cousin that really brought her to faith. And they attended a Lutheran church. So that kind of set the pace for my upbringing. My dad was a twice a year kind of guy, Christmas and Easter, if mom could talk him into it. And off and on, we went faithfully through my childhood. And that's where I had that uh, moment. The Holy Spirit was actually seeking me. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have at that time anybody to minister to me personally to help me through. And all we had was a old Bible was King James. It was hard to understand. I was probably eleven or twelve and so I didn't have any mentors at that time. So of course right. my human nature kicked in and after the initial love of God, I kind of drifted and became a heathen that comes
0: natural. And then Cheryl, you were born into a Mormon family, is that correct?
2: Well, kinda of Mormon family. I was born into Utah, in Utah. And if you're born in Utah, you're born a Mormon especially back in the day. So you kind of have to separate all of that. My grandparents and great-grandparents were in the Mormon thing, and some of them were more Mormon than others. But I just knew at a young age that there was something wicked, evil about that. And I started praying. I don't know who I was praying to, but I know I was praying to God to not let me marry a Mormon. (laughs) (laughs) And not anybody from Utah. And hello, Paul's from Colorado. (laughs) Oh, there you go, there you go. So, And I had no idea of faith at all. When I was young, I mean, my mom had a boyfriend who told us about Jesus and taught me and my sister to pray to him, but you know, After he departed, it was gone. I mean, we had no influence. There was no religion in our family. There might have been a little faith still praying to God about future marriage and stuff, but only because I had to go to school and deal with all those other people all the time. And my mom was divorced, and we were poor. And it was an ugly combination in the state of Utah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was ugly. So I was bitter and I did not like those people.
0: Yeah, I found that interesting, you know, when I lived in Utah and when you meet people that grow up Mormon, but they don't really have anything to do with the Mormon church and they almost do have like a bitterness, even just toward religion in general and toward God. So, so what was it that brought you both to a true faith and knowledge of Christ it was a
1: series of events over uh, decades of God pursuing us, putting people in our lives as far back as the Virginia early eighties. Yep. You know, after just after we were married, God started putting believers. In our life and sharing the gospel with us and looking back, it's miraculous how many people we can see now the hand of God pursuing us vigilantly.
2: But I got to say this too, to those people who claim they're believers, the one thing that I always had a problem with was if you're a believer in Christ, why aren't you sharing him? Things could have been totally different had they not had the fear of sharing the Lord with us, not just as an example or, hey, you want to go to church, but telling us about Jesus and how he can save you. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it wasn't until 2003 and our son-in-law is the one who shared the Lord with me and told me that Jesus loved me. And that... That for me, that was the moment. That was the time that I'm like, wow, he actually really loves me. And he died for me. That was the change right there. We're going to church. We're going to follow this along. Whether you like it or not, you're coming with me. So we were on a journey.
0: Yeah. Well, and I like what you said too. It was God that pursued you. You weren't necessarily looking for God. He was looking for you. And that's something that really is true. He relentlessly pursues us, (laughs) you know, in his grace. So
1: we started out in a non-denominational situation, a a plant church in the West Valley in Phoenix. And so we were setting up and tearing down every Sunday in a school that they were meeting in. We had access to the pastors that a couple of different pastors. It was really a, a wonderful growing period for us. Communing with the body was really about.
0: Right. That was huge, too. So you were in that context, and then eventually you guys came to Brigham City Bible Church. In fact, I can remember the first Sunday you guys came, and I remember you guys came, I think it was like a couple of months after I had joined the church, and so we kind of joined close to the, about the same time, and I was already what I call calvin I was not quite there okay. yet, but <laughs> I was going along that journey of coming to a Reformed understanding, and of course, you know, Brett was very pivotal in helping me in that journey, and again, God brings people into our lives to bring light, right? So you guys came around the same time, so kind of talk about that experience of coming to the church that we were all a part of, and just kind of what God was doing there in all of us through the good teaching that we had.
1: Well, during the period from early 2000 until then, we had been traveling and living in different areas, and we had... Kind of found the Southern Baptist denomination, and that seemed to be a working force. We were growing, we were off of milk and getting meat for the most part. So we attended the First Baptist Church in Brigham City. Yeah. And for about a month, we just came to the realization that wasn't for us. God was moving us in a different direction. So, as always, we read the faith statements from the other churches in town, you know, Main Street and Brigham City just kind of fit the bill of what we thought we needed. So yeah,
0: just for my listeners to understand in Utah, finding a good church, you think it's hard to find a good church where we're at. Utah, it's like a desert. I mean, there's a Mormon ward on every corner, but to try to find a good, solid Bible teaching church, it is very, very hard. It's slim pickings. So yeah,
1: yeah. Yes. So after the, I don't remember what Brett had preached on the first sermon, but it was very evident that that was where we were supposed to be.
2: Well, and we kind of knew going back several years to other churches, probably all the way back to Oregon, being in the Baptist side of it and reading, just knowing that they're not really Calvinistic. But here we were reading things in the Bible telling us these things that are true. So that kind of started us on that Calvin Reformed journey to leading that way. So every time we read a faith statement on a church, it's like, ah, they're not, can't go there, you know? <laughs> so yeah. we had to look for a meaty church. right? So and when we walked into BCBC BC that first Sunday, we just knew that that's where we belonged because the people, we still love the people there. Yeah. They have some of the greatest, kindest people in the world that take in as part of their family. And well, we're kind of rough family.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: That's right. But we're, but it was a
0: good family. It was a rough family, but a good family. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> coming to Brett and first talking to him and the fact that Brett is straightforward in sharing stuff and he gives you an opportunity to ask questions and he answers them for you. So you basically, you answer your own questions through the help and knowledge of a good pastor.
0: Yeah, I think I've actually heard him tell me, well, brother, you just answered your own question, right? there."
2: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: He does. He has a, he just has a way of, of talking to people. I can remember when he talked about these uh, Mormon missionaries, which 18-year-old elders coming and talking to you, they would just come and talk to them and They told him, Pastor Brett, you're one of the nicest guys that we've ever met, you know, and it's like, yeah, he's like completely blowing them out of the water, you know, but he does it just in a certain way, you know, so it has a big impact on bringing you to an understanding of the gospel, of faith, of the truth, of all of these things and the way that you interact with people, and definitely Brett was a good example of that for us, and it was helpful for us because it helped us as we went along this journey of coming to understand the gospel.
2: Spending time at his house almost every Sunday, that to us was a huge thing because it's like one-on-one. And Paul and I have been blessed there with having a lot of one-on-one with just pastors for a lot of time. So we'd go home and read stuff, and then any questions we had, we could go back and ask pastors.
0: Right. And just having that community. Again, community is so, so important for Mm -hmm. us to be able to grow together as the body of Christ. Yeah. So you guys went along this faith journey. You came to Christ. You eventually became Reformed. You came to a true understanding of the gospel. Everything's going great. We're at Brigham City Bible Church. You guys are serving the Lord. And then something tragic happens. I want you to share with our listeners about that day about what was going on, kind of where things were at at that time, and just all the things that went through your mind as this tragedy happened. And I'm not going to say what it is. I'm going to let you guys tell it in your story, in your own words, so that our listeners can hear that even though you guys were loving the Lord, serving the Lord, Paul was actually a ordained elder at our church during this time, that something happened. And these things happen even to us when things are going great. I'll go ahead and let you guys begin to share. I don't know who wants to start, but we'll just go ahead and go.
1: I'll lead off. So we needed a new sign at church because the old one was rotting away. And so we commissioned a sign, and this was a a Friday evening. Saturday, we were to meet the men of the church. We're going to meet and dig the holes and plant the sign because we had the sign built. And then uh, our maintenance team the two ever ready bunnies of the church yeah. uh, Merle, no. and Joe, the <laughs> oldest guys in the church too. You know, we're not, quite oldest, but anyway, I didn't want them to be out there doing stuff, so Friday evening after dinner, I said, let's load up stuff, and we'll go dig the holes, and we'll be that much ahead tomorrow, and we'll plant the sign and get it cemented in, and so we loaded up. We actually met Pastor Alex there. He was doing something as we started digging, and the hole was very obstinate. We'll just say that. Underneath the sod was gravel and rock, and so it was quite arduous to get the hole dug, and I thought I was older and I was just out of shape so I would work until I couldn't work anymore and then Cheryl would step in and do her part and I would suck wind for a minute and then uh, this went on for maybe an hour yeah took us to get the first hole dug and uh, so I was sitting on the sidewalk in front of the church and Cheryl was putting the tools away because we decided one hole was enough
2: and we were just going to go home Paul was going to go home and take a nap on the couch or rest whatever and here it was probably 7 30 on a Friday night April 24th
1: 2020 yeah a brother from church you remember Jeff Young He happened to be driving down that street. He later told us that, for whatever reason, he chose that street that he never normally took. Never. So he drives by and sees me sitting on the sidewalk and Cheryl gathering up tools and he stops and pulls in and he comes up and he says, brother, you look terrible. What's going on? You feel okay?" And I said, well, I don't feel very good. And he says, you got any pain? And I went like this. You know, I got uh, pain in my chest and he says, get in the car. You're having a heart attack. I'm taking you to the hospital right now. Hmm. So this was the beginning of God orchestrating. That's yeah, the best it's... word I can say. Orchestrating and having everyone in place for what started to unfold. Yeah.
2: And Jeff knew the signs of a heart attack. He used to be a medic uh, in the Coast Guard. <laughs> yeah. How crazy for God so to send was, you somebody he was you need, huh? Trained
1: years before to see the signs. And so, again, I say orchestrated
0: like yeah. sovereignty people. of God. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl continues putting stuff away and Jeff takes me to the hospital. Well, it was right at the start of COVID. It was April 24th, 2020. They had the door guard at the entrance to the emergency room and he's going through all these questions of, have I been out of the country? Have I been sick? And all this stuff. And
2: was a kid.
1: And, yeah, he was a young man, maybe 20. And I said, son, I'm going to take a knee because I think I'm having a heart attack. Well, just then, the doctor that was on call that night heard the commotion, bust through the swinging doors, and says, get that man in a wheelchair and get him in here now. He's having a heart attack. And
2: this was at wow. Brigham City, Little Podunk Brigham Hospital.
0: right.
1: So she whisks me in there and gets me on the table, and she's asking me questions as she's doing stuff. She put the cuff on me to get my blood pressure and, you know, the normal things, listen to my heart. And she knew instinctively that something was wrong. As it turned out, I had four blocked arteries that were 99% blocked at that point. And later on, the doctor said, I don't even know how he was functioning. Anyway, she injected me with whatever it was to keep my heart from exploding and got me on an ambulance and got me sent to Ogden, which again, by God's grace and mercy, Dr. Anzari, which is a very renowned cardiovascular physician, was on call that night.
0: Wow.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so she started the process of getting stents put in I died twice on the table and And then then
2: lights out (laughs) yeah and then
1: lights out I I was he was
2: probably lights out at Brigham City right
1: and actually I don't remember anything after the doctor in Brigham City I was on full life support and unresponsive for 17 days so then entered Cheryl's part of the deal
2: so in Brigham City, because I didn't think it was that serious at first, because he was still fine when he left me, and he'd been like this now that we look back, off and on a lot of times, quite a few times, so that light bulb comes on afterwards. So anyway, I got this stuff taken care of, and I put the dog in the van and ran down to the hospital thinking, oh, they took care of it, piece of cake. I walk in, and the emergency room doctor, she come out, she's like, this This is very serious. He had a a Widowmaker massive heart attack. Or, yeah, he was right in the middle when he got there. When he got there, he had the heart attack, she said. And she said, I don't know how he even made it. Here, you know, because you only have a few minutes with this thing going. So there again is God intervening with this stuff, getting him to the hospital in the right amount of time to have the shot to keep his heart from blowing up inside of his chest. Yeah, And so she said, I'm, transporting him to Ogden regional because they couldn't do anything for him there, except that shot to keep his heart from blowing up. And so they took him to Ogden regional and I ended up taking the dog and the tools home and Jeff followed me. So Jeff just asked me if I wanted him to go with me. And I said, yeah, because you know, he's like, you know, this could be a situation where you'll need some help in these things. I'm like, okay, you know, (laughs) I mean, which praise God he did, you know, because Jeff was very good in this situation. So anyway, I ended up driving us to Ogden Regional and I got there, I don't know, probably eight or eight. 30 after all the time of everything, you know, and COVID was there too, of course. So they wouldn't let you go back in to see him. They couldn't tell me anything. And I said, but I don't even know if my husband's here alive. I said, how about you just tell me if he's back there and everything is okay. Right. Why would I wait here for you guys to tell me, oh, yeah, he passed away on the way or whatever? And, of course, me, I'm like, if you don't tell me, I'm coming in the doors to find out. (laughs) because they were horrible, and I get it. They didn't know how the system was going to work, but it was a crappy system. They were terrible as far as informing people because it was a Friday night and a bigger hospital, so a lot of people were there in and out. None of us could stay in the waiting room either. They were kicking us all out to our cars in the parking lot, and they'd run up and down the parking lot shouting your name to tell you something, you know. Right. So they panicked. The hospitals panicked.
0: That's interesting, too, because this happened during the height of COVID. So that's just another layer of tragedy, in a sense, because so many people went through these type of things, even with people that did die of COVID or got put on ventilators and family members couldn't be with their loved one when they were going through this. And I mean, I can imagine, Cheryl, you had a lot of things going through your mind. At this time, there was so much unknown, so much that you didn't know what was going on, what was going to happen. You didn't know if Paul was dead or alive or what your life was going to look like. So here we are, Paul, he's going through what he's going through. You're going through what you're going through, but yet you're talking right now about just the sovereignty of God and the way that he was there and orchestrated it again (laughs) in his sovereign grace for the outcome to happen as it did. I mean, and even if it didn't happen in the positive, like it eventually has, because obviously Paul's here talking to us right now, even if it hadn't happened in that way, God still would have been gracious in his sovereignty because he would have had a purpose in that. And so that's another thing for us to understand. So obviously you're under a lot of stress at this time, Cheryl, and there's a lot of things rolling around in your brain. What were you thinking in your mind, not only about Paul, but talking to God? I'm sure you were talking to God in your mind.
2: I was talking to God, and as a matter of fact, when we were up there at that hospital, I did know a couple of things. One, once I found out he was still alive, one of the doctors come out and said we lost him once on the table it doesn't look very good so don't get your hopes up and i'm thinking wow this is probably more serious than i thought cuz i'm an optimistic person i don't yeah. look you know i look at every situation is going to be okay unless paul tells me it's dire <laughs>
0: <laughs> so he's the pessimist to your optimist is what you're saying
2: <laughs> he, he is yeah so and one of the things I realized there was that no matter what, God is in control of this. Jeff was the calming factor, the common sense behind all of these emotions, too. He's like, so you probably should call your kids and you should probably call any family members so they have an opportunity to get here. And he was so right because it could have gone that way, right. you know, Yeah. So, Because I was debating, too, do I call our son and tell him because, you know, of stuff. So I did call Merle to tell him because Merle would tell everybody at church. And we knew that Merle would start praying for Paul right away. And then I called his sisters and my brothers and started calling family members to start praying for Paul. I don't know what to pray for. Pray for God's will in this situation because that's really all we need. We just need God to do what God's going to do and trust that whatever he does is what's best for the whole situation. So that was my first thing was starting that. And then the waiting, I was there until 1230, probably midnight at the hospital. And Dr. Ansari comes out because they called me to the emergency room. And she said, I just want you to know that he's not stable. This is very bleak. She says, I don't even know how he's alive. He died two times in there, cleaning pipes out and stuff. And she said, all I can tell you is we have him clear, but he had so much damage in there from a heart attack that they don't know what's going to happen. And she said, I'm going to have to try to get him a bed at the University of Utah. She says, but because of COVID and how crazy every hospital was... He may not get to get there to have any care at all. So, even that, with all the hospitals being overwhelmed with. COVID stuff was another strike against us, you could say, of right. getting him in the right place, you know, to get good help. So I got home because I asked her, should I stay here? And she's like, no, just go home. There's nothing you can do. Go get some rest because that's what you'll need. Right. So I went home and about 630 in the morning, she calls me and tells me she got a bed at the University of Utah. He did survive the night, so they're going to fly him to the University of Utah and he his care will continue there. And I had no idea what kind of care it was going to be because really they didn't know how bad he was. until they got him at the University of Utah, and he was unresponsive, and he was total life support. He had a stroke in his right cerebellum, and his kidneys had shut down. Everything that goes along with a massive Widowmaker heart attack. It was as bleak as bleak could probably get, but I'm an optimist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I believe I I always say to myself and I said through that time, God promised me good. He promised me good.
0: Right. So Paul, you for said me. you were under for like 17 days. Right. So when you started to come out of everything, what was going through your mind?
1: Well, that's an amazing thing. Before we get to that, I want to add that Cheryl was given twice the... uh, Social
2: services workers at the University of Utah, twice, they told me, he's not going to have a good quality of life, he had a stroke, he's on life support, perhaps you should just let him go. And I'm yeah. like, but you're not, You, how do you know? How do you, you know, they want you to sign those papers of giving custody basically to the hospital or the doctor for your person. Right. No, I yeah. never, I'm, no, just so say the, no. So
1: the, the, the <laughs> third social worker came to Cheryl. They're still trying they to get call, the signature. She, call, she
2: called me in because I got to go to the hospital eight times to learn how to, after. Um. And, well, after, yes. But they called me to the hospital to see the social worker. And the third one, she started asking me questions about Paul because I kind of thought she was going to go down the same road of, oh, just let him go thing, you know, because I'm sure it was going to be a mark for COVID. And I told her where he graduated and what class and stuff. And she's like, really? I know that guy. She graduated with him in a class of 28. Oh, wow. And she's like, don't sign anything they give you. You're signing your rights away to be the responsible person for his care.
0: Right.
2: Don't do that. So there's another God moment there because I keep thinking how many people in that situation, because it's so chaotic would have said, oh, okay, I'll sign this, you know. And they don't even know what they sign, Mm. you know. So that could have been an opportunity for them to, you know, take advantage of the system and have another victim.
1: Right. Moving forward, they determined that the left side of my heart was, it's called an injection fraction. It's a measure of how your heart is performing. I Mm. was at 7% on the left side, Hmm. and that's the side that pumps the blood through your Your body. body. So the right side pulls it in, the left side pushes it out. They gave Cheryl the choice of either a heart transplant or the heart pump, which I ended up getting through Cheryl's wisdom in the whole thing of heart transplants are... They're not for everybody.
2: Let's just say that.
1: Yeah. The amount of drugs that you have to take is crazy. And then we just learned this last year that a lot of heart transplant recipients end up with cancer. Mm. as a byproduct but well
2: and the cool thing too when i was reading stuff and learning about the heart pump versus the heart transplant was dr salesman kept saying it's a bridge to recovery it's a bridge to heart transplant but he also said too it could be a bridge to recovery not that people's heart ever heals you know they usually end up having to have the heart pump forever or a heart transplant so it's usually one of the two because of the technology at the time. So I just decided after reading everything that our best bet would be, let's just get him stable, put in the heart pump, and we'll take it from there. Because after all, God is still the one in charge. Even if you have a perfectly brand new healthy heart, doesn't mean you're going to live, right?
0: Right. It's right. all our you. lives are in God's hands. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that, that brings us forward to when I finally came to in the hospital. And again, I say it was the Holy Spirit had given me such a calm and peace about the whole thing. I never worried, even from when I walked into the hospital having a heart attack and then waking up, I never worried about what was going to happen. I felt like I was going to be fine. In fact, I really, I told Cheryl that the pump's only temporary. I'm going to be okay. He did so say that. So the Spirit had me praying for the people that were coming in and out of my hospital room. Yeah. Because it was like I could see the evil around, and I needed to be praying for them to know the truth about Jesus. So if they would stay long enough, I'd share the gospel with them.
0: I can remember calling you when you were still in the hospital and we talked on the phone, and I could just hear it in your voice. And you were telling me, I'm just preaching the gospel. Paul was going on about how wonderful it was that he had this heart attack and he was in the hospital so that he could preach the gospel. It was great.
2: (laughs) Well, and you know, back in the very beginning of all of this, and we firmly believe that God hears our prayers. He may not answer them the way we want, but he hears our prayers. And he hears the prayers of the church body. So usually I'm not that kind of person to put our personal stuff on Facebook. And I pondered it hard. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to ask everybody on Facebook that knows me to start praying for him. So I gave updates. I gave a lot of updates and, you know, specific details and stuff for a long time. So anybody out there that wanted to pray for him or would pray for him would have details to start praying for him for the necessary things. Pray in a specific way. God tells us to pray specifically for these things, you know, and in order to do that, I had to step out of our comfort zone and start telling all these people out in Facebook land all these details. And amazingly, the whole country... I mean, we went from one side of the country, probably around the world, praying for Paul. A lot of people at their churches, people from their churches told us their church was praying for him. And it's like, praise God. And sometimes you look at things like this. It was hard on us, but it brought the church together, too, as a church body. I mean, how much greater can you be as a church body when one of your members is in need like that? And here you are. Your church is coming together. Christ body is coming together praying for somebody yeah. that's what we're supposed to do
0: when tragedy strikes and when you understand the gospel and you understand the importance of community and the idea of edifying one another mm-hmm. it really does it just naturally especially if you are a proper christian body you're just naturally going to be like what are we going to do for him how are we going to pray for him how are we going to help him what are we going to give him how are we going to love on him that's so important So you guys went through all of this. And one thing, too, I'd like you to share, praise the Lord, because like you said, that pump, supposedly he would have had to live with that for the rest of his life. But how long ago was it, Paul, you actually were able to have the pump removed and your heart is working on its own?
1: Right. Almost from the onset, with the pump in my heart, my heart started battling back against it. So they had to keep turning the pump down because my heart was taking up a battle against it.
2: God was healing his heart. Yes. Amen.
1: Amen. Uh, So I went through a series of tests. I was in studies at the hospital. Let me backstory a little bit. The physicians ended up on my team are world renowned heart specialists. And we didn't
2: ask for these doctors. God had these people lined up, ready to go for our team.
1: Yep, using ordinary means to serve His purpose and and
2: do miracles. Yeah, to do miracles. So
1: I love how you just put
0: that. He used ordinary means to do this. That's awesome. I love that.
1: (laughs) He could have appealed me outright and that would have been glorious, but to show how he can use means to affect a consequence. To this day, I just went in for some hernia surgery with doctors that I didn't know. When they came in to meet me before (laughs) my surgery, they're like, you're that guy. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, well, yes, I am, because I was the first one at the VA to have this heart pump removed, not for a transplant, but because my heart
2: recovered.
1: Wow. And it's only, I'm only the second one at the University of Utah in 20 years that has had the same thing, which is another blessing that God has done, backstory. He put me through the military and sent me into conflict so that... After I could not work anymore because of complications, I am blessed with my medical side of things being taken up by the VA, which, because of its proximity to the University of Utah, all the doctors that served me at the university transferred to the VA when I transferred my care there. So we didn't have
2: to have new staff. Yeah. Crazy government. Praise God, because that's huge. People don't think about that, but that's huge. And this just goes to God put us in Corinne at that church, at that job, for the benefit of we had great insurance. This was an emergency thing. Everything was covered 100%. Mm.
1: It would have devastated. um, Another God blessing
2: there because it was $3 million to deal with all of that. We wouldn't have been able to do it. It would have been a catastrophic thing. So there's so many things. So many blessings
1: besides my health.
2: Yes.
0: Something I want to point out here is we started off talking about like your faith journey, how you came to really understand the gospel, became reformed understanding the sovereignty of God, the love of God, the gospel, you go through this horrible tragedy that's very, I mean, just a trial upon trials that you didn't know which way it was going to go, but yet you were trusting God in his sovereignty through it, trusting in God's promises through prayer, all of these things. And God brought you guys through it, but it was the gospel and it was the sovereignty of God and knowing who God truly is that sustained you through this whole thing.
1: Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, is that you understood those things before all this happened. You did understand that.
2: We did, because we know that God promises. We know that he promises good. Our good is different than God's good, but it is good nonetheless because it's from God. That was the year, too, that Dave Murphy died in January. Dave was one of our sweet friends that we loved. So, So that was in the back of my mind, too, was I could be a widow. And there were so many things in the back of my mind. I'm sure Paul's mind had it, too, if it was alert. If you go down that dark, gloomy road. I don't understand in tragedies like this how people make it, how they get through anything without having the Lord there, Yeah, you know, the one person that will never leave you, never forsake you, and will always love you, even if you make dumb choices.
0: And he would have been there with you and for you, even if he took Paul home. Paul would have just been graduating. <laughs> that's what would well, have he, happened. He, I told him, Give him a new address. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> and that's what I would have told people. And that's what other people, non-believers, would say, well, weren't you afraid? Well, you know, I guess I was never afraid that he would die because if he was a non-believer, then I would have been afraid for him to die. Yes. Yeah. But he was a believer in the Lord, so I had nothing to fear. Yeah. I mean, he just wasn't got to go home and be with Jesus.
0: Yeah. But the other thing that comes to my mind too, is I think of Job when I think of your guys' story, because, you know, Job, he was living for the Lord and everything, but then all of a sudden, all in the same day, I mean, he loses his kids, he loses his property, he loses all of these things. And next thing you know, I mean, he's just like, Hate in life. And that's something I want you all to understand, too. I mean, Cheryl is saying, you know, she's an optimist and she was trusting the Lord, but she's human, too. We're all human. I'm sure there were times, Cheryl, there where you were kind of wondering, God, what are you doing here? You know, I mean, I, I know I would have been <laughs> so
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you have to ask those questions. Lord, what are you doing? But it wasn't like, why are you doing this? It's like, what am I supposed to get from this? What is it you want me to understand? And what is it that Paul is going to get from this too? So we could help each other traverse this lumpy, bumpy road that we had to go on. Because even getting out of the hospital and making it past that giant hurdle, there was still the hurdle of managing his wound care, doing the pump, learning all those things about it and redoing our whole idea of health and then growing our marriage through these kind of things. That's a whole nother story. Yeah, you know,
0: yeah.
1: that's a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the time the, the controller quit working because I, along with the heart pump, I had to have a controller that I wore outside my body that was connected by wire to the pump in my heart and a pair of batteries So several batteries went bad. (laughs) Um, I had to be plugged into the wall at night for
2: sleeping. Because it never, it couldn't leave his body. He had an 18-inch cord. That's as far away as the controller could get from his body. But it was a hole in his stomach that went up to power that pump. And, you know, we always made fun of some things like he kind of looked like the Unabomber packing this belt around (laughs) because, you know, it looked crazy. And sometimes when we'd go somewhere, people would look at him like, oh, what's that guy got, you know, because it just looked weird. And then now we see people with them and we're like, hey, we understand this. We got this. Don't give up. And that's what we tell people all the time because we've actually talked to emergency workers and his job that are safety people there and telling them. Because with Paul, he didn't have an actual heartbeat. He had a humming sound. The purr of the pump is what they called it. Mm. So his heartbeat was so weak. And the pump is what kept his heart pumping the blood through it so it wouldn't stop. And if it did stop, the blood would coagulate in his heart. And then he would have a massive heart attack because the pump would be clogged and he would die. That was the scary part. And that was the part that I worried about the most. It wasn't our faith in God through all of these things. It was mechanical stuff because mechanical stuff breaks down.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you guys went through all of this and now God has given you guys this story that you're able to share with people. And so now that you've come through all of it and you guys are where you're at now and they're kind of, uh, what would you call what you guys do now? You're kind of travelers <laughs> you know, to a degree, yeah. right?
1: No Nomads, nomads,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have a, what is it, a fifth wheel trailer that is your house now, and they spend a lot of time in Arizona, sometime in South Dakota, is that correct?
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep, and Utah. In Utah and, and wherever,
2: wherever our wheels take Canada. us. Yeah. Yeah. And we share this story everywhere we go, telling people about the goodness of God, how great he is. And you know, my brother, Billy probably put it the best when we were telling him again, because he could hear it over and over again, because he had health problems too. Right. But he calls Paul the miracle guy and he doesn't know the Lord yet, but he's going to know the Lord. I'm pretty sure of that. But, But he understands these aspects and our faith in this, our faith. Yeah.
0: Well, I just want to thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing with the Broken Vessels podcast listeners, because I've wanted you guys to come on for quite a while to share this story because it is so miraculous, but it's not as much about the miraculousness, although that is awesome. And praise God that you're still here, brother, because we would miss you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, that's right. But at the same time, the thing that to me that is more monumental in this story is the sustaining grace of God by understanding who God is and his sovereignty and just the way the gospel sustain both of you through this and continues to sustain you and not only that but helps you to help others and to bless others with the gospel through this story. That to me is just monumental in this story. So
2: and we don't have it down perfect. We'll never have it perfect. Right. Never. Not in this life anyway. And we still mess up, we still bicker about things, we still sin, but we do know one thing in all of this that God is still the king and he's in charge. And if you pray for these things, if you pray for God to truly help you understand these things, he'll do it.
1: Yeah, he does. He does. He certainly does. uh, When it finally really, really hit me about predestination, reading through Romans again and coming to 828 through 30, and it dawned on me that all of that was said in past tense. Mm-hmm. So who he foreknew, who he predestined, who he glorified and sanct it's just beautiful. And it's read that many times, and it never had dawned on me the significance of it being past tense. Yeah,
0: but, it's uh, already done. <laughs> yeah,
1: like Pastor Brett would always say, already not yet,
2: yeah. you know. Yep. Uh, so. And you know what's crazy about all of that, too, is here we are in Arizona, we transferred our membership down here because we spend 179 days here. Let's right. Just say that. Right. And we have a church here. We love our church here. It's a Reformed Orthodox church. We believe that God leads you on the journey you're supposed to be on. You read the Bible, you understand the Bible, and it, it becomes more and more clear. In your church family and the things that you're led to to understand the Bible, it all has to go hand in hand. You yeah. know, we're fed meat at this church. We love this church here, and we love our pastor here, too, because he's a great pastor. He's a great we'll give pastor. A plug. Yeah.
1: Um, look up ROPC.
2: Yep. Okay,
0: ROPC and, and what part Apache, of Arizona?
2: Apache Junction.
0: Apache Junction, Arizona. So if you're in that area. Go give uh, Paul and Cheryl a visit.
2: Yeah, we YouTube our sermons there, too. And the great thing, like what Brett used to do, Joel does, he has a sermon. And then we have adult Sunday school afterwards. And guess what? We talk about what he preached about. Yeah, We don't just talk about willy-nilly anything. It's all learning the gospel and what it means, and we are so thankful. to see
1: what the therefore was there for.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and the growth. Because who would have thought on this journey way back in 2003 that I would have ever learned the things I learned biblically, but also the faith that God has grown in us, you know, our, our faith. Yeah, I I still don't understand how even just day-to-day living, how do you live like that and not know the Lord? Because every day is hard. Life is hard.
0: It is. It is. But God is good. And that is true. It's not just a trite saying. It's just reality. Well, Paul, Cheryl, I just want to thank you guys both for talking to my listeners today. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
1: Well, we we, uh, pray that it's a blessing for someone.
2: Amen. Amen. And never, never give up. Go to God because when we have these kind of things, we usually end up running from Him. Professional runner from Him. Um, We run from Him, saying, "I got this. I'll take care of it." Or, "What can you do for me?" Run to Him. Amen. Run to His Word, and you'll find all the answers you need. It's amazing. Amen. Amen.
0: Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's a great place for us to end this podcast is what Cheryl said. Run to Christ. Run to him. Look to him. Look to Christ and the gospel. That is all we have, and that is all that can sustain us, even through tragedy. You know, we deal with brokenness. We deal with tragedy, just like Job, just like Paul and Cheryl, because we live in the theology of the cross. We've talked about this before. We look forward with hope, to the theology of glory, to what's to come, and to God, and to what he's already done for us in Christ, as Paul was sharing in Romans chapter 8. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we still, even when things are going good, just like they were for Paul and Cheryl, tragedy can strike in a moment. And you don't know what's going on. Well, it's not for us to know. It's only for us to trust. It's only for us to look to Christ. It's only for us to know that God is sovereign and he does truly work all things for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. Whether Paul was still here or whether the Lord took him home, God still would have fulfilled his purpose in their lives. Praise God that he kept him around. I'm thankful for that because I love this brother. But brothers and sisters in Christ, you may be going through similar circumstances. You may be going through some kind of tragedy in your life, and you just need the reminder that God loves you, and God is sovereign, and He's watching over you, and He's not going to leave you or forsake you. Just trust Him. Trust the gospel. Trust His sovereignty in your life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to thank you again for joining us for the Broken Vessels podcast, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>
2: Thank mm-hmm.